Topic of uh, tonight's uh, Dhamma talk is uh, Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana and uh, the and its last aspect coming in the form of uh, the four noble truths and a, com- a contemplation of uh, those. Now, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on you know, the establishments of uh, mindfulness we you know, find the following, and I'm you know, using a translation by Venerable Analaya. He or she knows as it really is. This is Dukkha. And then, he or she knows as it really is. This is the arising of uh, Dukkha. And then, he or she knows as it really is. This is the cessation of dukkha and finally a meditator knows as it really is this is the way leading to the cessation of dukkha now when we take a first uh, glance at uh, the four noble truths, and then the term dukkha is mentioned not just once, but already four times. And then an uninformed person, based on a first impression, might think, well, the Buddha's teachings are all about dukkha. Well, not quite so. And the Buddha does indeed, um, well, say that dukkha exists and that we need to know what it is. But he also then goes on to describe the positive aspects, namely, coming in the form of freedom from dukkha, which is uh, nothing other than the third noble truth, the cessation of dukkha, and then the path or the practice leading to that freedom from dukkha or cessation from dukkha. Now, The Pani term, dukkha, as explained already in the context of the contemplation of unsatisfactoriness, this Pani term can be etymologically explained as follows by using the Sanskrit equivalent terms. And what I'm saying is, or will be saying, is based on Venerable Analayo's explanations. So, the the Pani term Dukkha then is made up of two parts, a Du and Ka. And Ka in Sanskrit means axle, hole of a wheel. And the the Sanskrit word du or dus then in English means difficulty or badness. Hence, 
the compound term of du and ka, dukha, then literally means an axle which is not fitting properly into its hole. And and then in a you know, wider sense, you know, this uh, stands for disharmony, for friction. And a second uh, uh, explanation, etymological explanation of the term Dukkha, again based on the you know, Sanskrit, you know, runs as certain follows. So do is as before, difficulty or badness. And uh, the, the second part yeah, then is you know, derived from sta, which you know, the Sanskrit sta, which stands for standing or abiding. Hence, dukha or dusta yeah, then means standing badly in a literal sense or uneasiness, being uncomfortable. And common the most common translation for the term dukkha is uh, as suffering. However, you know, this uh, no, no, translation is uh, no, somewhat uh, no, problematic. And the you know, Pani term you know, dukkha covers a shade of meanings and it's not uh, no, obvious or it's not that easy you know, to put them all into one single uh, English term. And the difficulty with the translation of uh, the Pali term dukkha as uh, suffering is that um, usually the impermanence of uh, formations, namely anicca, is uh, then said to be the reason for for the arising of suffering, of dukkha. And when the the exception here is uh, as follows, namely, when an unpleasant sensation changes and disappears, then this is not necessarily uh, dukkha or suffering. And uh, so it kind of conflicts with uh, the term suffering. Now, Venerable Analayo proposes in Venerable Nyanaponika says this already or said this already long time ago that the term dukkha could also be translated as unsatisfactoriness namely in the sense that formations do not provide any lasting satisfactoriness Now, earlier on, we pointed out that the Buddha's teachings are, in fact, not only about dukkha, but also about the positive aspect, namely in the form of the freedom from dukkha or unsatisfactoriness. And very clearly, the Buddha points out that the 
noble path, the noble eightfold path, is a path productive of joy. So leading to joy, and elsewhere he's also saying that it is the realization of the four noble truths that is accompanied by happiness. And this indeed is the case when Nibbana is realized, then a meditator will then understand that there is indeed well, a happiness of Shanti Sukha, there's the peace of happiness. Now, the reference here for the Four Noble Truths and to be accompanied by happiness and joy comes from the Samyutta Nikaya 56 and there of the 35th Discourse where it says, and I'm quoting, it is fitting, because bhikkhunis and meditators, for a clansman intent on his or her good to accept the offer. For what reason? Because this samsara, this uh, cycle of uh, uh, birth and death, is without discoverable beginning, a first point cannot be discerned of blows by spears, blows by swords, blows by axes. And even though this may be so, I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by, uh, only by happiness and joy. What for? The Noble Truth of you know, the existence of suffering and or noble truth of suffering, noble truth of the origin of suffering, and then the noble truth of uh, the way leading to the cessation of suffering, and uh, sorry, the noble truth of the uh, cessation of suffering, and then you know, the noble the way leading to the cessation of uh, suffering. Now, in the context of um, the Four Noble Truths and the emphasis and a lot of emphasis is given to suffering, the following needs to be uh, understood. The so the first truth is about uh, the existence, the presence of suffering, and also you know, to realize what this suffering is all about. Now, the you know, or in discourses that explain what is meant by you know, the suffering, you know, then you know, point you know, to you know, physical forms or material forms of uh, suffering in the f- coming in the form of old age, disease, death, even birth, or including uh, birth. And uh, then 
as mental forms of suffering are being mentioned well grief and sorrow lamentation and distress and uh, um, you know, separation you know, from loved ones and being together you know, with those that one you know, doesn't uh, like uh, that uh, much. And so then the second noble truth is about the origin of suffering or the cause of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. Now, when it comes to this first and second noble truth, then is it that, or to whom, to whom, are formations suffering? Who knows this? Hmm? You mentioned something about an arahant. Ah, yes, that's very good. So the answer is as follows. Uh, formations are not inherently suffering, they are suffering only to one who is desiring and attached to the formations of the five aggregates. And an arahant who has totally eradicated all mental defilements and all desire and all craving for formations, to him, formations are not suffering anymore. So that's a big difference. And it's a tiny little point that frequently goes unnoticed. And with other aspects of this talk, or this particular point, I owe Venerable Analayo and his book, Satipatthana. And the fact that formations are unsatisfactory, however, so that they do not provide lasting satisfaction, this is inherent in all formations. Now, the four noble truths are said to be a synthesis of all of the Buddha's teachings. All of his teachings can be traced back to or encapsulated within these four noble truths. And the first truth, as we have seen, says that formations are unsatisfactory and subject to suffering. The second one is that formations are suffering or unsatisfactory and no, this is caused by you know, craving tanha, or uh, in extension, we should uh, not, not mention another mental, unwholesome mental state, namely 
upadana clinging beyond even beyond this greed you know that's pretty much this is the same attachment hmm? ignorance ignorance so you know, the you know, craving you know, craving itself is uh, or underlying the craving is uh, ignorance and so if there were no ignorance then we you know, wouldn't be uh, craving or you know, wouldn't be clinging to you know, formations now the third noble truth briefly or, or states that positively states that um, there is such a thing as the cutting off or the cessation of uh, you know, suffering or unsatisfactoriness. And, but this third noble truth does not as yet uh, you know, state how one gains or realizes this cessation of suffering. And this then is the content of the fourth noble truth, which then outlines the Eightfold Noble Path as that way of practice that eventually leads to the cessation of uh, suffering or dukkha. And this uh, Eightfold uh, Noble Path consists of uh, certain qualities or certain, well, certain practices, certain qualities uh, that we need to develop, such as what? Sila. Sila, yes, morality or virtue. Samadhi, concentration, yes, and Nabanya, uh, uh, wisdom, correct. And so now, from a meditator's certain point of view, um, all we can say you know, that all of these uh, eight path factors are you know, present. Uh, in our meditation practice uh, as long as we are uh, mindful or whenever we're mindful and exerting effort and concentration uh, is uh, there. And the reason for this is we are, or you're taking the precepts uh, every night and uh, thus and so you're observing noble silence except uh, for some explanations during the interview and thus right speech is present and then right action is also present because you limit your activities to simply sitting, walking and then mindfulness in general activities and eating and sleeping and that's it uh, no more than this. Is there any uh, anyone involved in trading in arms or so? <laughs> I believe not. <laughs> and uh, so, with this, then uh, there's an absence of uh, any kind of. Uh, so, first of all, right uh, right action is there. And actually, what I'm saying is not quite correct. Uh, 
So right action is certain presence since none of you are indulging in uh, the taking of life and taking of what is not given and then not indulging in sexual misconduct. So those three stand for right action, whereas right livelihood has to do with restraint from or refraining, refraining from um, any kind of livelihood uh, that uh, brings harm uh, to uh, oneself or uh, to others, such as uh, dealing in uh, weapons, dealing in poisons, dealing in uh, uh, well in uh, human uh, flesh, and uh, then uh, false making use of false measure measurements and uh, so on and so forth. So the sila group is present in our meditation practice and so is the so-called samadhi group which consists of three aspects namely right effort, samavayama, then right right mindfulness, samasati and right concentration, samasamadhi. And um, under samasati, we can uh, point out that uh, it becomes, or samasati can be equated with satipatthana only if uh, uh, also uh, right view is present. So um, the practice of satipatthana itself leads to right view and then um, conversely, a right view is uh, underlying the Satipatthana practice, otherwise uh, one wouldn't uh, practice it. So there's a, uh, a mutual connection here between right view and Satipatthana. Anyways, uh, when one is well established in virtue and Satna, then you know, the Samadhi group is also you know, present and on top of this, uh, you know, there are thoughts of you know, renunciation and uh, you know, thoughts of non-hatred and uh, non-cruelty, and then you know, right uh, thoughts will also be present. And as a result of uh, you know, these you know, seven um, path factors, well, you know, right view arises. And uh, right view is nothing other then what? Wisdom. Yes, wisdom, knowledge, and uh, understanding uh, the truth. Now, the one more point regarding you know, to the you know, third noble truth, namely, it's the you know, noble truth of the you know, cessation of dukkha or you know, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, and so this cessation of 
Satvatna Dukkha becomes possible only when a meditator is ready to give up craving and clinging. And this experience of realization of the cessation of Dukkha is not an experience of uh, emerging of uh, the self and uh, some uh, supreme being, as uh, some uh, religious groups uh, propose, but rather it is uh, about uh, well uh, giving up and uh, giving up, letting go of uh, formations that usually you know, one is. Uh, holding on to it you know, tenaciously, and this becomes possible only you know, when one you know, sees you know, the flaws in formations and certain you know, dispassion and certain detachment you know, towards those same you know, formations certain you know, sets in. Now, In addition to you know, what has been you know, said a few moments ago, the path factor of uh, right view comprises, ultimately speaking, what? Which kind of understanding? Three. The three universal truths. Yeah. Why do you say three universal truths? Oh, uh, um, well, those are your universal characteristics. Mm, the or, or the path factor of right view goes even beyond those, and it's defined as the four noble truths. So. You know, once again, you know, the existence of dukkha, its origin or cause, and then its cessation, and then the path leading to the cessation of suffering. Now, the second noble path factor is out of the Eightfold Noble Path, is that of right thought. And uh, this is usually given as, uh, um, well, samma sankappa, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-hatred, uh, and uh, no, thoughts of non-cruelty. And these uh, three are positive no, kind of uh, no, thoughts. And they contrast with an unwholesome kinds of thoughts, three unwholesome kinds of thoughts, which are known as micha vitaka, and they cover well thoughts of sense desires, sensuous thoughts, and then thoughts of ill will and thoughts of cruelty. So what we need to develop are wholesome you know, thoughts and not their unwholesome counterparts. Now, to go further into what is meant by 
right speech. You know, right speech here refers to um, an abstention, voluntary abstention from any kind of uh, speech that uh, uh, may harm others and in the end will also harm you know, oneself, you know, such as, uh, well, you know, you know, false speech. Basically, this is uh, uh, lying or you know, twisting facts into you know, figures, so you know, presenting as facts what uh, is actually you know, not uh, you know, uh, not a fact, and so, and then furthermore, uh, backbiting and backbiting and slandering, so talking badly behind another person's back, so when the other person is not there, then people get together and then they find faults. And then harsh or rough words or speech, and then uh, the last one is certain uh, gossip or uh, uh, indulging in frivolous certain uh, talk, meaningless talk, and so on. Now, as ordinary uh, human beings, as non-meditators, uh, we might not necessarily uh, pay much attention to our speech. And so as a result of this, uh, much harm might be done to others, and one simply says things that then later on one might regret. And one has to be very careful with speech or communication in general if one is not precise in the way one is communicating and if one's speech is even based in unwholesome mental states, then what will happen? Oh, yes, indeed. So then we might our uh, our absent-minded speech may lead to trouble, may lead to you know, problems, may lead to a conflict. And a conflict among you know, human beings. And uh, uh, then it might uh, take uh, a lot of effort you know, to you know, solve uh, such uh, conflict. Now, here... Um, here, as part of you know, the Eightfold Noble Path, you know, you know, the reference to speech is actually rather, uh, rather short. And when we look at this certain particular aspect here of that our speech you know, should be right speech, namely Sama Vajra, you know, then um, you know, this covers very little you know, when in fact so much more you know, could, be, you know, could be mentioned. Now, when, it's, when it comes to you know, conflicts, then usually uh, they are, uh, or conflicts uh, greatly have to do you know, with communication. And so, 
um, something goes wrong in the communication and can you think of speech that uh, might uh, that is conducive to a conflict that might um, produce a conflict so lying is one and so what else Oh, confrontational speech, yes. Confrontational, aggressive speech. Anything else? Snapping. Snapping. What's that, snapping? I've never heard that expression before. No. Oh. Oh. Oh, like this. Yes, 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 yes. So, cutting someone off and doing this frequently. Yes, yeah, good. And so, you know, this, if you get cut off ten times in a sentence, then... <laughs> yeah, then naturally, then naturally, yeah, sooner or later you'll get irritated. Yeah. So, any other forms of uh, unskillful speech that you can think of? Oh, to say anything that is disrespectful to the other person? Uh, yes. Could you give an example for this? <laughs> it's always good to be specific. You have so, Jim, any, any example? Say it. I can't think of anything specific. I don't have anything in mind right now, but I mean, anytime you say anything that indicates that you consider yourself superior to another oh. person and perhaps inferior to you, anytime you say anything that doesn't accord them their full measure of humanity, oh. just do that. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Then, any uh, any other examples for unskillful speech that might uh, lead us and others into trouble? Sarcasm, yes, indeed. Insulting, yes. Dishonesty, yes. Oh, and then what about uh, you know, poking fun of another person? If you do that excessively, that might sarcasm could be sarcasm too. Could be sarcasm, ridiculing another person, right? And uh, what else? Anger. Anger. Yeah, but in speech, and so. Oh, blaming. Yes. Blame and then stronger forms of uh, uh, the unskillful speech, stronger than blaming, would be shouting, abusive language, and what about threatening? If if you do this, then I'll uh, uh, I'll go and uh, call the police or so. Name calling, yes, indeed. Some more. Oh, what about? Hmm? Oh, that's non-verbal, non-verbal communication. Yeah. 
or verbally mimicking someone. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. Oh, yes, that's a very nice one. Yes, indeed. Oh, yes. And then maybe uh, what about certain uh, what about certain comparisons? Comparing one, frequently comparing one person with another one. So, if uh, let's say if you are being compared to to, uh, someone like uh, Mozart all the time, (laughs) and Mozart apparently spoke many languages, and as as you know, know, was a genius when it came to music. So this will not make feel won't make make you feel uh, very self confident. And uh, and then what about judgments, evaluations, condemnation? Yes. What's that? Oh, patronizing another person. Eh? Huh? Oh, male chauvinism. Yes, <laughs> that's the major one. <laughs> but oh. Oh, give us males another five or ten years, and then we'll we'll defend ourselves. <laughs> then then there's there'll be female chauvinism <laughs> against against the men. It's already arising. Hmm? It's already arising. Oh, righteousness. Oh, righteousness. Yes. Yes, right. Oh, and then what about who domineering speech, commandeering, who always commanding, bossing, inflammatory speech? Yes, indeed. It's rabble rousing, and it's high time then that we started throwing rocks at our neighbors. Ah, this is a very nice point. Yes, namely, the speech that is not or does not conform to right, proper time and proper place. No, and the Buddha is talking about this. So even if one intends to say the truth, if the other person is not ready to hear it, then it won't do much good. So you know, when another person is angry and you point out his or her faults, uh, 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 then he or she is not likely going to, to take it uh, uh, well uh, easily. Anything else? Well, what does that mean? Yes? Two? Oh. A. Of that. Patronizing in, and uh, oh, and then what about um, what about praising oneself 
all the time and putting other people down. So, so then you. <laughs> So then I take your word. <laughs> so anyways, anyways, um, so what the Buddha then mentions under uh, right speech is actually very little. And so, um, thus it's worth you know, paying attention to you know, the way we communicate with others and avoid any kind of speech that brings harm to others and will also bring harm to ourselves. Uh, yeah, no, it would be nice. Uh, no, it would be nice to um, abstain uh, no, from uh, no, speaking about another person who is not there. Mm. So now then. When it comes to no, right, uh, no, right action, as uh, no, mentioned already, no, so this covers uh, no, abstaining from taking no, life. And so in some no, discourses, no, the Buddha no, points out no, that so, no, this also means protecting no, life. So not just injuring life, but also protecting life. And so, you know, then you know, to refrain from you know, stealing or taking you know, what is uh, not given. Again, it means uh, also protecting others' uh, property. And then to abstain you know, from any kind of a sexual you know, relation that you know, brings uh, harm you know, to uh, others or you know, oneself. And then right and livelihood uh, we've uh, discussed uh, no, already. And then in terms of right and effort. Now this right effort, Samavayama in you know, the Pali you know, scriptural language gets uh, um, defined in the following you know, way, namely as uh, you know, the effort you know, to avoid um, to avoid uh, the arising of any unreason unwholesomeness and uh, then you know, the you know, effort you know, made to overcome unwholesomeness that has already arisen and then the effort made to bring about so um, Unarisen, or to cause unarisen wholesomeness to arise, and uh, you know, then the last certain kind of uh, effort is that 
of maintaining uh, a, you know, wholesomeness, wholesome states that have already uh, arisen. And so these uh, four aspects of uh, you know, Padana, uh, Chattaro Padana, you know, these can be you know, further you know, boiled down to, to just two things, and those two things are what? Hmm. Very simple. Uh, well, very simple. Namely, you know, to avoid or you know, to abandon all unwholesomeness and to develop uh, all that is uh, wholesome. Now, the seventh path factor is that of mindfulness, sati in the Pali scriptural language. And as mentioned earlier on, this can be equated with satipatthana, the practice of satipatthana, the fourfold establishment of mindfulness, namely mindful contemplation of the body, of feelings, of the mind, and of dhammas. And then the last path factor, the eighth, is samasamadhi, and this then is defined as right concentration, or or is sorry, is defined as the absorptions. However, in a in a different certain context, this certain samasamadhi or right concentration can also be understood to mean momentary concentration, kanika samadhi, as it arises in the context of satipatthana meditation. So please do not think uh, that uh, you know, this last uh, path factor you know, speaks only about uh, you know, the serenity you know, practice. And uh, indeed, uh, when you know, one undertakes Satna uh, Satipatthana, and uh, there is you know, constant moments of concentration present, you know, based on you know, different objects as they are arising, you know, then you know, this can lead to a very strong concentration. Now, with regard to these four noble truths, they need to be exercised, or each noble truth needs to be needs to be developed, or in a certain way. And so it is said in the Samyutta Nikaya no, 45, Sutta no, 159, and what bhikkhus or bhikkhunis and uh, meditators are the things to be you know, fully uh, understood by direct knowledge. And it should be said the five aggregates subject to, to clinging, namely, you know, the aggregate of materiality, and so on and so forth. 
So with regard to, to you know, the first uh, noble truth, we need to understand it fully. And so what is it that we need to do you know, with regard to the second uh, noble truth? We need to abandon it, yes. So this means you know, we need to abandon our things uh, you know, that's we need to abandon by direct knowledge, namely uh, ignorance and uh, craving. And when it comes to the third noble truth, we need to um, do what? We need to understand it or abandon it? Realize. We need to realize it, this is correct, namely um, by direct uh, knowledge. And so in an ultimate certain sense, you know, the realization of uh, you know, the cessation of uh, you know, dukkha you know, then corresponds with knowledge and certain liberation, namely vijja and uh, vimuti. And finally, when it comes to the, the uh, Eightfold Noble Path that leads you know, to you know, the... Um, realization of or to the cessation of dukkha, well, this path needs to be developed by direct knowledge and this is done through the practice of serenity and insight. Now, the four noble truths have been compared by you know, the Buddha in a very you know, particular way. And uh, namely, uh, that the truth of uh, suffering is uh, you know, said you know, to be you know, the uh, illness. And uh, then the truth of uh, the origin or cause of the suffering is certainly uh, compared to, to the cause of an illness, namely a, possibly a virus. And then the you know, third noble truth of the cessation of suffering is uh, uh, compared you know, to uh, a state of health. So Nibbana uh, is being you know, compared to, to health or, you know, in other words, the cure of a you know, disease. And you know, whereas the uh, fourth noble truth of the Eightfold Path you know, gets uh, illustrated or compared you know, with the medicine that you know, we need to take to overcome you know, the illness. Now, a, sim a further you know, illustration can be found you know, in you know, the text, namely you know, the Buddha himself you know, gets compared you know, to a physician, a great you know, physician, and you know, the Dhamma you know, then uh, gets compared you know, to a very potent uh, medicine. Now, when it comes to these four noble truths, 
what satna do you think? Are they subject to, to, uh, to a self or to an <coughs> ego? Or are they subject uh, uh, to you know, something else? Oh, because of the thunder. (laughs) The Four Noble Truths are the subject to self. Is it self that uh, uh, determines uh, suffering and the origin of suffering and so on? It's liberation from self. Liberation from self, yes. Cause and effect. Yes, okay, go on. Well, inherent, inherent in you know, the Four Noble Truths is the teaching of anatta. And so, these Four Noble Truths are, are to be considered as empty of, uh, of a self, and so, all that we have uh, are, uh, well, cause and effect uh, uh, links. And uh, so... In the end, um, a path exists, but there is no person to tread this path. And Nibbana exists, but no person to enter it. So, in the words of the Visuddhimagga, this can be expressed uh, or has been expressed as follows, namely, mere suffering exists, no sufferer is found, the deed is, but not the doer of the deed is there. Nibbana is, but not the person that enters it. Uh, the path is, but no traveler on it is seen. And the first truth and the second truth are empty of permanence, of joy, of self and beauty. The deathless realm is empty of an ego and free from permanence and uh, joy and self is the path. Now, it can be further pointed out that there's a certain connection between these four noble truths and the four satipatthanas. And so in, a, in a gist, we can say that the realization of the four noble truths marks the successful completion of one's satipatthana practice. And While one is certain uh, under or before you know, realizing you know, the cessation of uh, dukkha, one will not understand you know, the third noble truth nor you know, the fourth noble truth. And all of the four truths are you know, fully understood only you know, with the attainment of uh, at least the path of uh, stream entry. And one of the uh, characteristics of, uh, of a stream entry is that he or she has an 
intuitive understanding into the four noble truths. Now, this then brings us to the end of today's Dhamma talk. And let me conclude by wishing may all of you continue to practice these four satipatthanas and may the practice of these four contemplations lead you and lead all of us to the full understanding of the four noble truths and may it lead us to knowledge and liberation, namely vijja and vimuti. And this is it for tonight. So, we have uh, some time. Yes, uh, Joanna. By thieves. Oh. Well, from a Buddhist point of view, you go and try to pick each and every flea and put it away. It's sometimes, you know, sometimes so meticulously keeping, you know, trying to keep the <coughs> the precepts uh, you know, amounts to you know, well quite some you know, some difficulties. The same thing goes. The you know, same thing goes for toilet you know, for ants in the toilet in, in a toilet, uh, or mosquitoes and flies and so on, termites. And, and oh, and, uh, and the usual way of going is by the prevention. So you just uh, you know, if you can one in one way or another prevent uh, you know, those uh, fleas to uh, well bite your or you know, oh, attach to your children. That would be best. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now then, in this situation, you hit the cushion and uh, you, know, you contemplate on this. <laughs> and, and then, and then maybe, you know, maybe some you know, some good certain solution to the problem comes up. No, maybe you could uh, you know, meet with the cashier you know, at some you know, some outside of uh, work hours or so. And then return the money. Yeah. 
or I don't have any 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 better idea right now. But or usually when when one reflects on a, on a tricky situation like this, then sooner or later some solution comes up. No. Yes. So, Venerable Kunishi, just to repeat, um, Venerable Kunishi is uh, you know, describing you know, the case of a you know, cat in a monastery you know, that is suffering from cancer and uh, her, half of her face is already has eroded or is gone. And uh, you know, some devotees you know, recommend to the abbot of that monastery you know, to take it to a veterinary and uh, you know, then you know, to put that same cat you know, to sleep. And the abbot you know, says no to this. So then what's your response to this? What do you feel? In the cat's interest, it's better to let it live out its life? Well, from a Buddhist point of view, we have... Um, and this is a tricky situation indeed. And the Venerable Sadhupandita very much likes to you know, talk about this. Um, something, a situation that um, then, um, well, you know, oh, comes up or comes through like compassion. By putting the cat to sleep, you know, we... You know, appear to be compassionate, no? Whereas, actually, that is not a true form of uh, you know, compassion, but rather you know, a case of what was it? Of uh, um, well, of an inability to face one's own. Um, one's own mental states of maybe you know, feeling bad about this certain cat, one's uh, distress, mental distress you know, regarding you know, the cat. And the same kind of situation also occurs you know, f you know, these days more and more frequently you know, with you know, patients suffering from some terminal illness. And then the question arises, should we you know, intentionally you know, uh, well, you know, um, put an end to, it, you know, to the person. Yes, the question of euthanasia, and so that's a major, you know, major issue. Uh, no. And so, you know, from a mon monastic point of view, no, um, like you know, the the monks and you know, nuns, you know, the the you know, the vow. One of the vows is not to kill. And a part of this is not to you know, recommend any form of euthanasia, mercy killing. 
And Sadhupanita points out that the term sounds very smooth and pleasing to the ear, but in the end, it's it's not about the person who is suffering the from the terminal disease, but it's it's an attempt to alleviate. Um, the the, you know, the mental distress in those who favor uh, euthanasia or mercy killing. Yes, Beverly. What's the, what was the second case? And the second case would be someone where the person themselves wants to, to end their suffering, but they're going. Eh. And they want to end their life. Yeah, well, uh, both of these uh, cases are uh, difficult. Oh, the first one is the person you're saying is brain dead, no? Um, but from a Buddhist point of view, you know, the life force is still active. And so you know, true death has not occurred yet. And uh, death occurs only you know, when, um, when the so-called death consciousness you know, or, or passes away. Chuti Chaita in the Pali scripture language. No, and that passes away only you know, when you know, the body also physically you know, you know, dies. No, so that's so. From a Buddhist point of view, this would not be recommended. The person? What cat? Yeah, life support. Life support. That was my question. Oh, life support. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then, yeah, then it's then it's in in cases like these, it's wise to you know, to take some precautions and uh, you know, write up a testament or a will saying, in case of some terminal in terminal illness, uh, I wish not to be treated in a hospital, and this can be done. No, my grandfather did this, and so uh, my grandfather would, you know, was. Uh, you know, um, a judge, a high court uh, judge, and uh, he uh, was very certain on not wanting uh, to die in hospital. He wanted to die at home, and so uh, when he, uh, before he uh, reached a high age, uh, well, as a law professional, uh, he knew how to do this. So he wrote up his uh, testament, testament, and so, uh, and this was uh, then also. Um, confirmed by some lawyer, and then he suffered from, I, I believe it was some heart disease or so. He was taken to the hospital, and then the family got him back owing to his, uh, his desire, nor his wish.
no, so, this, since these kind of cases keep coming up again and again, um, we might as well take the necessary um, or make the necessary arrangements ahead of time. I don't know. So that was one case, and then the other case was. Uh, or suicide, taking one's own life. Yes, even again, if we go by uh, what is uh, mentioned in um, in the monastic vows, and again the you know, the vow of uh, not uh, not taking life. A, a, a monk or a nun is not uh, supposed to uh, take his or her life. And this uh, applies also uh, to uh, even to uh, lay people. Uh, no. uh, taking of one's own life in, uh, from a Buddhist perspective is considered as highly, uh, highly uh, unwholesome and uh, leading naturally. It's seen as a, as a form of, uh, of killing. You know? And so it will lead to, uh, well, unwholesome karmic results and so, you know, such as uh, a rebirth in you know, some uh, unfavorable you know, existence. No. But please, you know, what I'm saying here is just, uh, you know, just the gist, you know, the, the, you know, the essence of uh, uh, the discussion of these topics. I know these are very sensitive uh, issues and so, um, you know, professors of Buddhism or so they, you know, they, you know, they can you know, write or they're writing lots and lots of you know, on this, uh, you know, analyzing the situation from different uh, different aspects. No, uh, jo- Joanna, just a moment. Oh, first, Jim. With abortion, it's the same thing again. Uh, it's taking, you know, taking of life, and it's not to be done, not to be done, and not to be recommended. That's far more clear than the, all the issues that, that have been raised so far about euthanasia uh, and whether a person's really dead, brain, and all that type of stuff. Uh, You don't hear it within Buddhist circles, or no? Yeah, Buddhist circles, yeah. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. Uh, well, I have no idea why. <laughs> why there is no discussion about this. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. You know, people ask the Dalai Lama about this, and he said he's happy he doesn't have to face that choice because he he, he understands both sides. Yeah. So sometimes the circumstances are very complicated. Mm, right. So it, it really cannot be resolved just discussing. 
Even but from a Buddhist, uh, from a Theravada Buddhist, Buddhist point of point of view, there's usually uh, usually pretty uh, pretty well outlined. Uh, no, so I mean Maurizio. Venerable, venerable Analayo Satipatthana. And the Analayo, A N A, or it's the second one, it's a long A, L A Y O. Analayo. And the publisher is Windhorse Publishing. Uh, yeah, Windhorse Publishing, or Publications from England. Uh, yes. So then, Tara. Tomorrow night, oh, tomorrow night the topic uh, will. Well, well, what do you expect? Huh? Well, our oh, stream entry. Yes, indeed. So, uh, tomorrow night's uh, talk will be about uh, the very final part of the Satipatthana Sutta, namely the realization and uh, you know, things uh, you know, that are mentioned there. And, um, and then about uh, the stream entry and uh, you know, then about uh, you know, the qualities of a stream entry, of a stream enter, and if we have time. That the, probably uh, these are uh, topics for two talks, one tomorrow and uh, the next one day after tomorrow. And then qualities of Nibbana, you know, different aspects of Nibbana. So there's much to, you know, to be said there. Yes, uh, Joanna. Oh, that. And this is a good question. I'm not quite certain, quite sure, not, not quite sure. A tentative answer to this would be yes. No. See, uh, oh, when death approaches, you know, then there is this will to, you know, will to live or not to live anymore. Please, and let me check in in a book you know, from you know, from the library, which is called Introduction to Buddhist Ethics by Peter Har- Harvey. So it's basically on on you know, Sila on the Winia, and so you know, hopefully you know, an answer will be in there. No, please. These are all, you know, the, all, all the questions that you've uh, raised are you know, rather you know, you know, tricky you know, tricky questions, and it's not uh, not so easy to you know, to answer them. Uh, no. Then there was some more. Yes. Well, right view, 
is certainly given as uh, definitely given as the f as the first one, you know, since it's the most important one. Uh, no, and it's uh, you know, oh, in terms, it's the outcome of uh, you know the practice, and, and so also that factor that you know, again you know, kind of uh, underlies uh, you know, the other you know, path factors. Uh, no, and. So And then there is a certain order you know, there when it comes to you know, the precepts, the precepts you know, or, or you know, oh, the sila group. So uh, to you know, right speech, right action, right you know, livelihood. So what we what you have there, sila and samadhi. So first comes sila, then comes samadhi. That corresponds uh, you know, to you know, to the usual you know, way of arranging you know, those. So the Samadhi group is based on you know, Nasila. And both of those in turn are based on um, well, you know, a right view. You know, and this, and this uh, also includes the right you know, view you know, with regard to you know, Gamma and its you know, results. And uh, the you know, the type of thinking that you know, we um, you know, practice will you know, have an influence on uh, on the other two, uh, no. so therefore probably uh, it's uh, mentioned in the second place, or, or these two right view and uh, right uh, thought in the first and second place. That's uh, my uh, my interpretation of it. And the uh, wisdom, just the wisdom. And uh, those, uh, you know, those two you know, represent the wisdom part, indeed. And so, as for the samadhi group, you know, well, viriya sati samadhi—that's the usual, you know, the usual way you know, they're being you know, you know, listed. And they come oftentimes they come in that sequence. So, you know, based on uh, continuous effort, so, you know, mindfulness arises based on this. You know, then you know, the mind so, you know, will be unified and will be concentrated. And no. Okay. So, then anything else? Yes, Lisa. Okay, so you know, as for you know, the you know, first part, explanation for um, or explanation or reasons for you know, the you know, seventh um, uh, precept, indeed, 
are those uh, that precept that has been formulated you know, to you know, avoid uh, the person who is uh, uh, observing this precept you know, to you know, be distracted unnecessarily, and on top of this, you know, not to inflame you know, greed or desire, or in general, you know, in a sense, desire. And uh, uh, furthermore, when you know, we you know, practice you know, meditation you know, with the goal uh, of or an objective you know, such as you know, to you know, develop a knowledge and you know, liberation, then we do so you know, to you know, purify the mind, or part of this is to you know, purify the mind and not to further pollute or stain you know, the mind. And uh, so if we indulge in activities like watching TV over and over again and movies and, and, and other things, you know, then you know, those are all, you know, those are frequently you know, those uh, you know, um, sources you know, may lead to, to an increase of uh, um, uh, desire, sense desire. And so another reason that could be cited for you know, that seventh precept is also not to distract others. So when we're on retreat, and then, um, as you know, everything is quite, uh, quite refined. One's own mind is refined. And uh, just by you know, seeing some you know, or, or you know, seeing an object may already you know, trigger some associative you know, thoughts. And uh, so, if on a retreat you have a meditator, male or female, it doesn't matter, who you know, dresses in a rather revealing manner, and so, you know, then you know, then this. You know, it may you know, be a major source of distraction for you know, the other meditators. And so, uh, because of this, in, you know, in Burma, the meditation centers, so, you know, there's, there's even a dress code for, you know, for the meditators, both male as well as female. So that's, uh, you know, that's one part. Now, when it comes to, you know, to art, creative art and whether we should get involved in this or not, either as a writer. And I think you had a similar question. So what about art? Paint, doing paintings, drawings, and so on. Oh, and then here we have another artist. Uh, right. What does it mean to us? Uh, Which part of us we put into it? If, uh, it's, if it's for fame, ego, uh, if it's money, uh, or what is it for? And then only that would be the answer. Uh, and so also control not to become too dependent on it in terms of greed. Uh, uh, right. So when it comes to the creative art, you know, and we observe Buddhist Buddhist art that has been created over the century, then we find a lot has been created. And fortunately, it has happened like this. 
So if you think of uh, uh, sculptures, if you think of uh, cave paintings and architecture, yes, architecture, stupas, yes, garden, yes, Japanese gardens, all right. And uh, uh, so lots has been uh, uh, done in this direction but not necessarily always certainly uh, by uh, the monastics but uh, um, uh, also partly by monastics but uh, partly uh, also by uh, lay uh, artists and i guess in the in in the context of uh, the seventh precept what matters a lot is whether the art that one creates is for the entertainment of others or not. So if, uh, if it is uh, done with some, uh, well, inferior motive, then probably it might be better not to get involved in it. But if it is done for some educational or with an educational objective, then that should be okay. You know, and we know from we know from Christian tradition, but also from in within the Buddhist tradition, centuries ago, when a great certain part of society wasn't able or was illiterate. And had no direct access to you know, to the text. The only way, or, or you know, the only way of communicating, or one way of communicating, you know, some aspects of the teachings was through what cathedrals, and so you know, through murals, and so on and so forth. So stories from you know, from the texts uh, you know, being painted on uh, inside of uh, temples or and so in there you go the stained glass windows in uh, in Christian churches. And so you know, there's a lot certain of this, and so when uh, in Lumbini we have uh, well a great variety of uh, Buddhist architecture. Tibetan architecture, then Korean architecture, Chinese architecture, and then Theravada architecture, and and Indian, and the Tibetans are very creative. There's no problem there whatsoever. They like to fill the modern temple walls with murals, all sorts of depictions, whereas. You know, the Theravada monasteries are rather, um, you know, rather barren, right? You say it, uh, no. And uh, the Thais, well, both the Thais and Burmese, you know, when it comes to the you know, Buddhist archite- monastery architecture, are you know, quite uh, quite creative, but not in terms of uh, uh, some you know, you know, mural visual visual art. No. Having said this, though. When you go to Bagan, an ancient Buddhist site in Burma, you'll find many, um, many temples there with um, murals. The same goes for 
music, doesn't it? I mean, there is secular music and there is spiritual music. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there is yeah, right. Always been part of uh, all spiritual activities. Uh, right, right, Some right. Some kind right. of sound producing. Uh, but it's not the same category as secular. Uh, because it's not meant for entertainment. It's meant to help people concentrate and get uh, into uh, uh, Right. Well, and again, Theravada is the least sophisticated in, in, in this. Yeah, it's something, something like this. Oh, Mozart. <laughs> Dear Joanna, <laughs> oh, yeah, when it comes to monastics, yeah, we're not even allowed to, yeah, to listen to any of, of Mozart's music. Uh, no. There's, yeah, it's a hard one. Uh, no. Music is particularly difficult for me. I merely have to think of music and my, my mind becomes agitated. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is uh, no, one of the reasons why the Buddha you know, has clamped down so much on uh, on music. Okay, so then, Lisa, regarding your question. So the purpose will matter. The intent, as Venerable Kunishi points out, the intention with which we do this will also make a difference. And then think, for instance, of those meditating monks, nuns, or lay people in a cave centuries ago, who would yeah, well, either carve or do some cave paintings. Uh, no, and so, uh, that so, uh, then was an expression of, uh, uh, of, or you can you can class uh, classify that as meditative art. Uh, no, and in Tibetan Buddhism we have uh, tanka painting, uh, which uh, probably is done in a uh, somewhat meditative uh, way. Oh, in Theravada Buddhism, you know, the monastics are not even allowed to you know, do any you know, sculpturing. No paint, no no murals, no painting, no you know, no music, no uh, sculpturing.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.